Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, hello, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Rob Krecek. He's a Wall Street alumni, business owner, coach, and keynote speaker who is on a mission to help individuals and companies reduce burnout and get back time to master their careers and lives. His company, Humans First, has, in my opinion, a challenging yet very inspiring goal, which is to lead U.S. companies into a four-day work week. Hello, Rob, and welcome to Back to Basics. Yeah, thank you for having me, Leticia. Really uh, grateful to be here and lo- looking forward to listening uh, to chatting with you. Well, I'm very excited because uh, for the research I do before the show, I'm like, oh, this is a perfect guest for my podcast, especially because and 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 I'm gonna, not going to steal the thunder of your own journey. But anybody, mm-hmm. any anybody, I read somebody that admits to being able to buy anything they can in the wish list and not feeling happy, they are perfect guests for this podcast. So mm. why does why don't you share a little bit with the audience and with myself about your journey, your young years? And what were you passionate about? I'm always curious to, to learn about. Were there any passions or anything in particular that made you take growing up? Yeah, sure. So happy to share, you know, whatever seems uh, seems relevant. So, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin and my it's super supportive and still have very supportive and loving parents. I'm really grateful for that. And they really have helped me throughout my entire life with everything, not only, you know, instilling great values in me, but also helping me with my businesses but you know, when I was growing up, high school was a very difficult time for me, and uh, that's because I really had bad acne. It was very, very, very devastating to me. I I couldn't have a conversation with people because I couldn't look them in the eye, and I had low self esteem and self worth because of that. And one of the things that kind of happened to me as a side effect of this acne, I'll say, is that I uh, developed an addiction to video games. Mm-hmm. And that was because my home computer was in our in my bedroom, and that was the only mm-hmm. place my family had to, to put it. And so, um, but this though was happening in the mid '90s before most people even had a cell phone or an internet connected computer. And so, I kind of saw the negative effects of technology for me personally before most people were even using technology. And then at other points in my life, I was also addicted to Facebook and addicted to my email. And so, and just to be clear, right. Uh, I really like technology. I think it's amazing. It does really good things for us. It helps us communicate, be productive. So many great things. The way that I kind of describe my stance is I'm not anti-technology. I'm pro-humanity. And so with my current company, Humans First, our mission is to help humanity understand how technology impacts mental health, relationships, and productivity at work. Mm, that's very interesting. If I understood correctly, before you made it there, you went into the financial uh, world. I did. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I graduated from college with degrees in finance, Spanish and management. So I uh, you know, wanted to put my finance degree to use and I ended up getting a, a job as a sell-side equity analyst. And you know, by all means, like this was basically my dream job. I, you know, was making really good money. I was working at a really great firm that really cared about its employees, and I still really liked working there. But I, I 
like you said, I made this list in Excel of all these things that I wanted to buy. And I bought most of them, not all of them, but most of them at the end of my first year. And then I went, huh, like, I don't know if this really feels any different. I don't know if I feel any happier or any more satisfaction in my life. And so then that kind of put me on this journey of, uh, you know, of self-improvement to try to figure out, well, what's going on? Or like, what would make me happy? And, um, you know, I ended up still being in that finance career for about six years. And then I've owned nine different businesses in a couple different areas. And, you know, Humans First is my, my latest business to help people. Mm, that's interesting. And so when you went into that transition, and I always backtrack into this because I one of the hopeful goals of this podcast is to get people unstuck from situations there are. So, so I love it when somebody defines, I had my dream job and I was making good money. And I know people out there is like, dude, why did you change any of that? And I always like to dig deeper into that. Well, but I wasn't that happy or I wanted to be my own boss. So something happened mm-hmm. there that you thought maybe ju- jumping from that career into owning your own businesses was the answer? Was that it? Or how did you make that, that transition? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a good question. So I guess I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that I can't function in a corporate environment, but I just think with my skill sets and abilities, I, I work better when I'm the boss and I'm, you know, leading people or I'm making decisions. I like analyzing things and breaking things down and understanding how they work so that I can make the best decision. And, you know, in, in corporate America, I wasn't in a position where I was able to be the boss. And, uh, you know, that's how it goes in corporate America. You're kind of climbing the ladder and that's totally okay for some people. But for me, it just, I just felt like, hey, I could, you know, if I was in the boss's shoes, I would like make this decision differently. And I think this would go better and stuff like that. And so the thing that I like about entrepreneurship is you are ultimately the total factor, right? That determines what happens. Like if you're really successful, it's because of you. And if you fail, it's also because of you. And I like that responsibility and, um, you know, I, I just think that being an entrepreneur is really what I was put on this earth to do. Mm, that's exciting. And I can I can totally see I'm on a, on a similar path to you. I, I like corporate America, but it's not for me on a full time basis. So in your own journey, so you wanted to be your boss, but you also very committed to helping others for what I read. And you intersected two of my favorite words ever which are technology, because I'm in telecom and of course, uh, you know, very technology driven industry and then mindfulness, which I'm very passionate about. So it's the first time that I've read anybody's background and and you really intersecting two things that I think go hand in hand, but not many people would think they go hand in hand. So talk a little bit about this technology mindfulness. Yeah, happy to, Leticia. So I'm really excited about this area of study. And I, I, I say that what I am studying or what I am bringing to the world is the understanding of technology mindfulness. And I actually, you know, I had three different careers. So my first career was in finance, I just told you about. My second career was in health and fitness. I owned three anytime fitness health clubs. And my last career was in uh, technology. And so I, I had four cell phone repair stores. And so you might think, okay, well, like business, health and fitness and technology, these have nothing to do with each other. And that's kind of correct. But Humans first is me combining all those into one. And the way that I define technology mindfulness is being aware of the ways that technology may be impacting your life and then changing your behavior so that, uh, you know, using technology might serve you better in your life. 
Mm-hmm. I know, and I think that's very good because a lot of parents, me included, are worried about the kids, right? And and yeah. and we recognize that uh, is this is not only kids; they see the example in the adults. And so, when you go back to the leading by example, how are you gonna prevent the kids from doing something that as adults basically are struggling with ourselves? So I, I really believe you are onto something uh, with a great mission. And uh, so, tell us a little bit more about because. Because you do have a challenging, and when I say challenging, is because I'm not from the U.S., uh, but I've been here long enough to understand the culture. And of all the places and cultures that I've been exposed to, uh, the U.S., it's it's a competitive country. You don't hear a lot about people that live on paid vacation on the table, like the vacation they get paid for are going on news. This is a country with the biggest, highest number of, which to an European, that's unheard of. Because, you know, if you're Italian or Spanish, you're going to take two months in the summer. And so for, for a lot of cultures, this is very hard to wrap around. So you hear four-week work uh, in France, and it's, that's no surprise if, if you know the French culture or the Swedes. How do you think this is going to go down in the U.S.? Yeah. So a lot of people, when I say that I'm a consultant that guides companies to a four-day work week, they're like, you know, like their <laughs> eyes just get really big and they're like, okay. Um, Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, one of, that's one of the main, I guess, concerns people have is, well, you know, I'll be talking to a CEO and they'll be like, well, Rob, here's the thing is I can't even get everything done in five days a week. How could I possibly work four days a week and get the same amount of stuff done, right? And and just to be clear, when I talk about implementing a four-day work week at a company, I mean for eight-hour days, not for 10-hour days. Mm-hmm. So everyone, all the employees, the management team, the owner, everyone gets a full day of time back. And I guess here's kind of what's happening to the you know the world and, and this might help illustrate why this is possible. So uh, the average uh, white collar worker sends and receives 126 emails per day. If you take just two minutes per email uh, for each one, then uh, it's that equates to about four hours per day. So right around half of our day is email. Then the average person's also in about two hours of meetings a day, maybe a little bit more or less depending on your position. So right there, six hours of your day is taken up between email and meetings which means that in an eight-hour day, you only have two hours left to do your job. And that's not realistic for most people. And so by me helping a company communicate differently and using technology a little bit differently, um, you know, I can help them drastically cut down on the amount of emails they uh, send and receive and the amount of unnecessary meetings so that people can focus on what matters most, which then leads to less stress, less burnout, better job performance, greater engagement, lower turnover, and greater profit per employee. Basically, when you implement the four-day work week, almost everything that's measurable trends in the right direction. Mm, well, that's uh, definitely a great sales pitch. I can tell you that. And <laughs> uh, and I would tell you, and other women might know this, I became super efficient when I became a mom. Because mm. my time in the office, when I was breastfeeding my kids and I breastfed my kids for a full year, and people don't like to hear this, but wow. it's important because for a woman, yeah. that's it. For a full year without, you know, doing any, but anything else other than use my time more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And when you know you have to go back to, to, to feed your baby, there's, you know, everything becomes like an urgency. And, and if it's not a priority, I'm not taking care of it. And so I think that anybody that's been put on that situation where you, you don't have a choice, you have 
three hours in the office, you have to get it done to go do the other very important thing. We all know it's possible. And yeah. and I am I agree with you that we are burning time in a way that we're not even realizing and it's counterproductive. Yeah, so what, I, I'm really glad that you share that, Leticia. And what you just described is called Parkinson's Law, which essentially means that the importance of something will swell in relation to the amount of time you have. So in other words, if I give you 20 hours to do a task, it might not seem that important to you. But then if I give you three hours to do the same task, all of a sudden the important, like how important it is, is much greater for you. And so we just naturally kind of adjust how we prioritize things or how important they feel in relation to the amount of time we have. And, you know, a lot of times when we have less time, we just do the best we can and that's all we can do. And and that's kind of what you're describing. And so I think what people come to realize is they're, you know, after, after, you know, taking a look at what they do is, yeah, there are some ways, if you think just a little bit outside the box, there are some ways to do what you're doing differently. Again, it's not, I'm not saying you reduce the quality in any way. It's just thinking a little bit differently about how you could do something. And that could save an, at least a day of time every week, if not more for most people. Mm. Well, I'm a firm believer of that. And I do think that you're onto something. So if we, of course, as a company owner, I think all companies should look into this because I, I believe that this would improve a lot the, the employee uh, happiness, satisfaction in their job if we all work smarter. And if everybody does it, like in Europe, you know, I think it's in Germany, your boss cannot send you an email after 5 p.m. Yep. Yeah. There's yes. laws against that. It's illegal yeah. to, yep. to to email your employees. You have to work offline. And, and I think it's great because if everybody does it, then you don't feel guilty by not doing it. It doesn't yes. become that rat race that we suffer here. Oh, well, they, they're good. I want them to see that I'm working at 11 p.m. If you take that away, then it's an equalizer. So I think there's many things company-wise. But, you know, if, if I'm somebody and, I, and everything you say is resonated, what what would you say if like it's the simplest thing that anybody can do to improve their technology use? What would be your advice? Yes, yeah, so the first thing is actually um, it's related to technology, but it's not directly you know uh, involving technology. It's how it's changing how and how much you communicate, and really having a standards of communication guideline or uh, outline that you write and then you send to your employees. So, as an example, it might read something like this. We believe that all business communications should be handled between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, and that we are going to use email for all external communications. We want all emails to be returned within 24 business hours. We will use Slack for all internal communications. We expect that all Slack messages will be returned within three business hours. If there's something that requires more than three hours of urgency, we will Slack call each other, and Slack phone calls should be returned as soon as possible. And so based, you know, and there's other details related to that. And obviously the time lengths of time are different for different employees. But basically, if you disseminate something like that to you, your employees and your clients and everyone understands and it, and it has written guidelines, then all of a sudden, then it doesn't, people aren't forced to guess how and when and how much to communicate because they know, they know how and when and how much to communicate. And that completely changes how people do their jobs because what happens is without those standards, people on average check their inboxes once every six minutes. 
So if you're checking your inbox literally every six minutes or 10 times an hour, like the average person, you're never going to get any meaningful work done because you're just checking your email all the time. And, you know, we do our best and highest quality work as humans when we're focusing on something and we're immersed in our work. And you can't be immersed in your work when you're checking your email every 10 minutes. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I do, Every six minutes. Yeah. And I, and I do believe there's something in, in our human nature that because I do see that where people live in that environment where I think I'm working because I'm responding quickly to emails. But then at the same time, as you say, I'm not doing creative work, productive work out of the out of the box kind of work. Right. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting, if you think about it this way is, most people, when they go into their jobs, how do they start their day? They go into work or, you know, if you're working remotely, you turn on your computer and then you check your email. And so what you're doing is you're then reacting to everything that's in your email, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I think I have to do this. I think I have to do that. And so you're being very reactive instead of proactive. That's kind of like in a game of American football, we'll say, since I know you're not from the United States. Mm-hmm. American football, the quarterback goes up to the line and doesn't call a play, doesn't call a huddle and just says, hey, guys, when I hike the ball, we're just going to try to get into the end zone, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. But that's essentially what we're doing every day when we go into our jobs and just check our email and react to everything instead of being much more deliberate and proactive about what we're going to accomplish and how we're going to spend our time. Mm, yeah, absolutely agree. And I know you are a big proponent of the idea, and I think everybody agrees, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, that, you know, also the technology affects our relationships. And I'm sure you're talking personal and business. So why don't you share a little bit about that? It does. Yeah. Well, here's this uh, statistic that I like to share with people because it really just helps people understand what's happening to the world. In America, before COVID, so you can't say that COVID affected the statistic, we spend 12 hours and 21 minutes a day in front of screens and media. In other words, we're spending three quarters of our waking lives in front of these devices. And I guess by the way that we're spending our time, then humans aren't first in our world anymore. Technology is. And again, like I, I know that technology does amazing things and it, it is, it really helps us, but humans weren't designed to spend three quarters of our life with something that is artificial. It's not, it's not, you know, 50,000 years ago when we were cavemen and cave women, we didn't have any technology. We just hunted, gathered and socialized. 90% of our time was spent with other people socializing when we are cavemen. And, you know, look at how different that is today. And I'm not saying we need to spend 90% of our time socializing anymore. However, we're so far removed or we're so far differentiated from what we are innately like as humans that I think that this is really causing a huge part of the loneliness epidemic that we have in the United States uh, and really worldwide, right? How does this make any sense? How can we be more connected than ever around the world, yet we're lonelier than ever? It doesn't make any sense. And I really think it's because when we communicate digitally, and again, like there's many good reasons to communicate digitally, but when we communicate digitally, less oxytocin and serotonin are released compared to when we communicate in person. And so, and serotonin and oxytocin are two brain chemicals that make us feel loved and supported and cared for. And so when we only use digital communication, we do nothing or very little uh, communication in person We experience way less serotonin and oxytocin, which makes us feel way less cared for and less supported and loved. And I think this is really what's driving a lot of this loneliness epidemic in in the United States today or really around the world. Mm, Yeah, so many very interesting statistics. Yeah, I always struggle because I am a technology 
uh, lover. But at the same time, I agree with everything you're saying. And, and, and you know, the thing is, it's not black and white because even this Zoom call is happening. Like we are socializing, whereas before we would have never, if we were in the cave, right. we would have never even met. <laughs> right. and, so, yep. and so technology is an enabler. My problem, I believe, comes from everything we do in life has, at some point, we have to have some restraint. Right. So yes. if we like to drink, we have to restrain. Otherwise, we're going to get drunk. If we like to exercise, if you don't restrain, you're going to end up with both your knees, uh, you know, uh, replaced or something. Yes. everything we do in life, eating, same thing. Yes. We love to eat. But what happens if you just eat it? And so I think that restraint concept has to be brought into the equation on how we use technology. I really, yeah, I really like that you said that, Leticia. And, and, and as another example, even drinking too much water can kill you, right? Like, and the mm-hmm. water is obviously nece- necessary for life. So, you know, and that's kind of what I, that's the way I frame it to people is, I'm not saying don't use technology, absolutely use it. But we've kind of eclipsed the point, I, in my opinion, where all technology is good. And we've also eclipsed the point where it's like the optimum amount for mental, at least for mental health and relationships. Mm-hmm. I think we're using technology so much that it's crowding out our ability to maintain our in-person relationships and have good mental health. And so I think people are just starting to realize that. I'm not sure if you've seen that movie, The Social Dilemma, yeah. um, but a lot of people talk to me about that movie. And I really, really highly recommend that if you haven't watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, it won two Emmy Awards. It really helps you understand a little bit more about why some technology could be harmful to you. And, and I just think it really does a good job of illustrating that. No, I, I totally agree with you. And and yeah, I had as any parent, it's like, okay, this is something you have to learn how to parent with this. Like our parents didn't have to learn how to teach your kids not to be on the computer. We, you know, this generation is having to deal with it because it's also true that if you don't teach them, you're leaving them behind. Right. Um, you know, because I've seen my kid when we didn't want to give him video games and, and we went to a birthday party and he was like four or five at the time. And I heard some kids say, don't give it to him because he loses all the time. Hmm. So he was being excluded from the little group of kids and here we yeah. are, my husband and I thinking we're such great parents because our kid doesn't play video games. But the truth is, in the environment he's going to have to thrive, there has to be some knowledge of it. Otherwise, it's going to be completely excluded. Mm-hmm. And and we had to reshape the way we thought about it. We say, okay, maybe it's just the weekends. And, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe because also you have to, you know, arm and, and give your kids the tool to deal with the reality they're going to have to deal with, which is very different from our reality growing up. Yeah. I really like the word that you said, uh, Leticia, tool. And that's kind of the way I think of all technology, video games, emails, social media, all of it, right? It's all a tool. And a tool, just like a hammer, can be used to do something very positive or very negative. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, it's not the tool itself that's bad. It's how you use it that's bad. And so I kind of, I think when you you know, conceptualize technology differently like that and realize that you are in charge of using the tool in a way that serves you well, then, you know, it becomes a little bit more uh, easy to think about, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I totally, totally agree. And I imagine that your take on social media, it's, it's around that. Are you, do you use it? Do you not use it? What, what What's your feeling about that? Well, after I got sucked into the Mark Zuckerberg void when I got addicted to Facebook, I um, 
you know, I don't really use that much anymore. And uh, I, I do think I could use it for business purposes. And I think, in my opinion, that's one of the only legitimate uses of social media, other than to occasionally get in contact with people that, you know, you might not otherwise. But, you know, and a lot of people say that, well, like, I, well, I need to get a hold of my family. And it's like, okay, but there's so many other ways to contact people today. There's so many, right? Like, there's almost an unlimited amount. And so you don't need Facebook. You don't need that to get keep track of what people are doing. What happened to like a phone call, you know, where you could just call someone up and say, hey, how are you? You know, the average person in America spends two hours and 14 minutes a day on social media. Here would be my challenge to the average person. I'm not saying get rid of your social media. But how about if you just cut that time in half every day? So you're spending about an hour on social media and take that other hour that you get back and spend that with people that you care about or or call someone up that you haven't talked to in six months. I guarantee you, your mental health will be way better and you will have better better relationships with the people that re- you really care about instead of thinking that, you know, making a, an occasional comment on their Facebook page is really going to, you know, move the needle in your relationship. Mm, yeah, no, you have a good point. We, Me and my husband always say that technology, especially on your birthday, you can really test this. On your birthday, you get more messages than ever before via WhatsApp or or Facebook, but less phone calls. Than but you who use. calls? Right. Yes. Who calls? And so I'm still the one that calls, but I miss my phone calls. Like I miss when my good friends, like I would look forward to, you know, my birthday. And I know at, at least that day I will connect with certain friends that now just send an email via WhatsApp or even a recording via WhatsApp and they don't call and I don't get it. Uh, you know, so I, I'm still one of those that calls because I'm a firm believer on the power of that phone call and that deep connection. Yeah, I really like that, Leticia. And that's and you, your example is perfect. And that's exactly what I'm saying is what people don't even think about now is making a phone call on someone's birthday, right? They just like a text is good enough or a, yes, a voice message yes. is good enough. And I don't know. I, I'm not. Uh, I get that it's more convenient for the sender, but I. I totally agree with you that there's not as much of a true connection there with a text versus a phone call. Yeah, it's more super. I think it's it's creating that sup, more superficial, but at the same time, it's good because now you hear from people you never heard before, sure. and so it's also not that again. It's in that gray area where you know, like, okay, that person never. It will have called me, but at least they're taking the time to send a quick message. So that's also sure. putting kindness into the world. And that's why I think that's why we all have these uh, mixed feelings about social media. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Right. Exactly. It does. It does do some helpful things for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, I mean, Rob, I admire everything you're doing. I know you do coaching. I mean, you have your webpage is incredible, which of course is going to be on the show notes, which is humansfirst.us. Correct. Yep. And you you have a beautiful blog there about all these things that you're sharing with us. Is there anything on the page or anything you're working on that particularly excites you? Anything we haven't touched upon that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, well, it's actually um, a thought that I have. So, you know, my wife and I thought this was so meaningful. We wanted to share this with people at our wedding. The amount of love, success and happiness in this world is infinite. And so imagine how much love, success, and happiness we can all have together if we all decided to put humans first. Mm. That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And uh, yeah, no, I think uh, I love the branding. I love the work. I'm sure I think you definitely, most companies, you know, need this. And I think 
where I'm hopefully you, you, we're moving more into like the conscious leadership era where you mm-hmm. have more CEOs, more people in leadership positions really taking a close look at this. And, and you need to, I think we need to help people self-manage because yeah. all these issues come from a lack of self-management where we get yeah. distracted at work. We allow uh, the email to bombard us and we react to that. That means we're not self-managing right. And mm-hmm. so I think that everything we discuss here is really down that alley. And, and I believe we're going to see more and more and more of that. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, that's why I'm here is to, and I know that, you know, the four day work week is still a very new concept in the, in the United States. And, but here's the amazing thing is that if a company converts to a four day work week, you are in the top 1% of US companies because less than 1% of US companies offer this. And so that really allows you to attract and retain the best talent in the industry because you have this amazing benefit that very few other companies offer. And so, I'm here to start talking, you know, start working with some leaders who are really forward thinking and want to do good things for their employees and, uh, you know, be happy to chat with them. Yeah. And I think that that shows leadership, you know, and what you're proposing, it's also this has been done by the most developed countries in the world. Mm-hmm. So it really like you have solid backing on that thought. Like if you were saying this and nobody in the world, like I'm imagine, I don't know what the first country was that embraced this. But, you know, when they like France, they got a lot, a lot of criticism for going down this path. And and now more and more countries are looking into it and saying, oh, yeah, I mean, we humans design the life we live. So mm-hmm. how on earth we design a life where all we do is work? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something went wrong down the line. It did. It did. I agree <laughs> with you. And and that's really the whole the whole, you know, goal of, of, of humans first is to help people use technology differently and maybe a little bit less so they can spend more time with the people in life that they care about most. Well, I I think that's great. So last question for you, Rob. I always ask about when you're not inspiring people to use technology savvier, what other things do you do that help you connect to your true essence and to keep that, you know, source of happiness and joy into everything you do? Yeah, well, I really like learning. So my wife kind of makes fun of me that sometimes I read too many books or something. I don't, mm-hmm. I guess. So uh, I really like learning. I um, really enjoy traveling. I work out all the time and, you know, really just enjoy connect, you know, socializing, connecting with friends and family, spending time with my wife. You know, those are things that in life that bring me most joy. Yeah, well, then that's why you're a perfect back to basics guest because those, in my opinion, are the things that really keep you living completely connected to those things that make the human being happy. So I thank you so much for being here and for sharing all the wisdom and the amazing work you're doing. I'm sure this is not the first time I'm going to hear about humans first. Thank you so much. One other thing that I just wanted to offer the listeners is a free 30-minute technology mindfulness consultation call with me. All you need to do to redeem that is just email me. My email address is rob, R-O-B, at humansfirst.us. Just email me and mention this podcast in the subject line, and then I'm happy to set up a free 30-minute call with you to chat about your technology mindfulness and see how we can help you get some time back each week. Well, that's uh, very generous. I appreciate that offer to the audience. And, uh, you know, all your information will be on the show notes. So I thank you so much, and I wish you the best, Rob. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Leticia. I appreciate you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.